Section 1 of The Rover, Volume 1, Number 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jean Clare. The Rover, Volume 1, Number 1, edited by Seba Smith and Lawrence Labrie. Section 1, Washington's Escape, A Tale of the Revolution. On a bright morning in the summer of 77, an unusual bustle was observable in the camp of Washington, whose officers were seen gliding from tent to tent, preparing their own accoutrements, or superintending the comparison of their fleeted steeds. The army was quietly lying on the banks of the Hudson, and no immediate hostilities expected, although the British headquarters were but a few miles distant. The present excitement was occasioned by an invitation from Colonel Mauburn, the noble owner of a seat in the neighborhood, to attend an entertainment given in honor of his only daughter, the young Countess of Clevesdown, who had lately returned from beyond sea. As among military men, a lofty bearing, a pride of personal appearance, are seldom wanting, it is not surprising that a more than ordinary solicitude was evinced. Old coats and saddle-cloths were carefully brushed, boots and spurs burnished, swords and holsters borrowed, and yet none of the young men seemed perfectly satisfied with themselves, save Charles de Carroll, the youthful aide of Lafayette, who was lounging on a log with soiled linen and unpowdered locks, while the smile and sparkling glances indicated the paradise of his imagination. In vain his noble charger neighed and pawed at the door of his tent, in seeming disgust at the soiled trappings with which he was covered. De Carroll's reverie was not to be broken. At this moment, a couple of brother officers passing inquired at what hour they were to ride. At ten precisely, answered Major E., and observing the young aide with surprise, asked if the favorite was not invited. Oh, certainly, replied Lieutenant G., next in the list to Lafayette himself but depending on the liberality with which nature has gifted him, or schoolboy acquaintance with the young countess, he neglects all personal decorations. But perhaps he may find himself in the vocative, said Major E., and be treated with the same coldness as Captain Bliss, who presumed on the same footing. But a girl at school and a peeress come out, he will find different persons, but let him alone. We shall see, whispered Major E., casting an envious glance from his own diminutive person to the elegant figure of de carroll who remained unmoved just as they hurried on general bortolu in whom all the good qualities of humanity appeared to have found a welcome happened to pass and seeing the absorbed condition of our hero gave him a violent shake and in a half reproachful tone inquired if he did not remember that washington was punctual to an appointment and while you sit here added he dreaming of auburn ringlets and slender arms floating around your brown visage and infantile pleadings for the conveyance of kisses and teardrops across the atlantic to dearest maria as dr franklin tells the story we will be far on the way to marathon a hint to the wise said bortolo significantly is sufficient as de carroll deeply coloring glided into his tent and when he joined the troop his superb suit of blue and gold powdered curls and magnificent trappings decided that he and his man cato had spent no idle time as he vaulted into the saddle his splendid appearance caused a smile among the senior officers which was nothing diminished by the trusty black saying to his arabian you be mighty proud to-day master janus maybe you tink you tote queen anne on your back you try to strike me do you dat feed you dat tend you all de time 
perhaps he has discovered we are going to the wedding cato and that the groom is in company said general bortelot glancing ironically at de carroll while the whole cavalcade putting spurs to their horses galloped off leaving the eyes and the mouth of the negro in a state of distension who hastened as much as in him lay to bring up the rear merrily the troops scoured over hill and valley and surely in no age nor country were there ever truer hearts or a more gallant band all were handsome talented men in the brilliancy of youth or prime of manhood and glowing with that enthusiasm for liberty and love of country which seemed to breathe of something more than mortal washington lafayette rode in front lincoln wayne lee bortolo and de carroll with many others followed closely after and our spirited riding brought them in view of marathon as the colonel's residence was called but in this band of choice spirits were all true alas no for even among them was a traitor who would gladly have led them all into the heart of the british camp but his time was not yet come and as he too endeavored to pass gaily along it was with malicious joy he perceived that envy and rivalship would probably add another facility to his purpose as he followed the disdainful glance of major e whose chagrin at de carroll's superior appearance was only supportable by observing that some obtruding anxiety had dissipated the wearer's mental sunshine on cheerily however they went and dismounted at a long shed fastening their horses with accoutrements on the commander-in-chief having so directed they then walked slowly up the ascent on which the edifice was situated to the entrance of a lofty portico where they were received by colonel mauburn with his usual fascination of manner thanking them apparently most cordially for the honor they did him and shaking hands with each individual in true planter style led the way to the saloon the folding doors were thrown open and the first glance determined the taste and affluence of the owner the furniture and ornaments being of the richest materials and arranged in the most elegant style imaginable at the entrance of this palace of the hudson the young officers lingered while their seniors were paying their respects to the stately lady of the mansion mrs mauburn who was easily distinguished from the ladies around her by the hauteur of her manner she being well assured in her own opinion that her beauty of face had never been surpassed but having discovered from many mortifications that her person was fat and unwieldy and her gait awkward preferred receiving her guests in a sitting posture hoping they would conclude want of condescension and not of charms prevented her rising while the chiefs received her profusion of civilities with that calm affability peculiar to themselves and the young officers waited with some deference their presentation bortolo whispered to carroll if the tall elegant figure whom the lady hostess had beckoned to tie up a broken flower was not the genius of the fete the young colonel changed color and was about to say she must be an elder sister of arabella when the recollection that she was an only daughter and this her fourteenth birthday flashed the truth on his mind it was herself he would have said but the words died away on his lips the amiable bortolo observed his embarrassment and endeavored to relieve it again by asking if he knew the tawny serpent that was taking the job off the lady's hands it must be said to carroll recovering himself that baggage of a fleur sauvage shot up like an asparagus top but from her superb crimson habit and the numerous bells attached to her white satin leggings one might suppose her an indian queen at this instant the youthful countess turned and presented her hand to washington who gallantly reminding her that he had once been an admirer of her mother's loveliness received her with paternal kindness and presented her to those of his suite who had not seen her but on approaching de carroll 
Washington handed her over to Lafayette, for even he in his gravity had heard of the acquaintance of the young folks. The lovely girl, however, spared the feelings of her friends by receiving our hero with unaffected modesty, welcoming him in the name of her absent brothers without seeming to have any particular recollection of the past. De Carroll had hoped, in the anxiety of his heart, and where is the young man on earth that could blame him, that Arabella's heightened blushes would excuse his vanity in the eyes of his comrades, but was forced to acknowledge, mentally, her discretion to be a more powerful ally. In a few moments the whole party was seated, wine and refreshments freely distributed, and conversation became general, while a band of music, hidden from the view, played the most exhilarating airs. Taken, as our young soldiers were, from the roughness of the tented field, from the hardships of an American camp, it was not surprising that the scene around should act like a spell on their excited feelings. And, as Telemachus and the Flowery Isle, they should be better pleased than their sage mentor desired. In the midst, however, of this delicious excitement, the music suddenly ceased, and after a short pause, struck up God Save the King. Instantly, Wayne Lincoln and Lee sprang to the middle of the saloon, while the whole suite rose simultaneously, partly unsheathing their swords and looking defiance at Arnold, whose significant glances with Mrs. Mauburn were immediately observed. In the midst of all this confusion, the father of the Union remained unmoved, perfectly composed, nor suffered a shade of agitation to pass over his countenance, but smiling at the display around him, beckoned Lady Arabella to his side and said, Lest the spirits of these rattlecaps effervesce in too ranting a manner, give us something on the other side of the question, and let your maiden, to change the tone of feeling, play a simple tune on her lute. Arabella nodded compliance, and breathing a few syllables in the Delaware tongue to Wildflower, the band instantly played Yankee Doodle in the most energetic manner. Immediately the tumult subsided, the officers, abashed, cast sidelong glances at each other, and endeavored to laugh at their own excitement. As the music died away, the Indian girl, softly touching a harp of a strange wild sound, sang the following song. Where wave the fragrant orange boughs, with fruit and flowers and verdure gay, where weeping willows kiss the wave, and soft and balmy breezes blow. T'was there a chieftain wandered forth, with him he saved on battle day, nor thought for base and sordid gold, that friend would ever friend betray. Neath a tall oak whose leafy shade obscured the noonday's piercing ray, where blossoms bright a carpet laid, the cruel basilisk seized his prey. But peace, we must not trace a scene which ill accords with festive day, nor tell of blasted oaks or winds, which, moaning to the traveler, say, a traitor's doom by heaven's own hand. A nervous scream from Mrs. Mauburn at this instant interrupted the music when the colonel, who had not appeared to notice what had passed around him for the last half hour, but to be earnestly engaged in conversation with Major E., smiled, and with his usual presence of mind, ascribed the scream to the presence of a spider on his lady's many-breadth damask, and turning to the company, announced dinner with so much nonchalance and good humor that even a critical observer would not have suspected aught. But there was one present, whose eye he dared not to meet, who watched every muscle and read the inward workings of his soul. As dinner was announced, folding doors on the opposite side of the saloon were thrown open and displayed a table covered with every luxury of the old and new world. The ladies, rising, led the way to the banquet in the stately manner of the times. Mrs. Mauburn presented her hand to Washington, and her sisters did the like honor to Lafayette and Lincoln.
Lady Arabella, who had stooped to speak to Wildflower as she was sitting on a velvet cushion at her feet, now rose also, and gave, as by a previous agreement, her hand to Major E., who, casting a haughty glance at de Carroll, led her away, leaving our hero petrified to the spot and pale with rage and muttering to himself. Truly, I am no longer anything but a fool. This day is to demonstrate what my mother often said to me in my arrogance. You will only be proud, son, in every way, when in every way tried. Why don't you come on, boys? cried Bortolo. What? Lee and de Carroll in a passion, because they have no lady's glove to boast, when here am I, neglectful and unmatched. Will ye suffer your wounded vanity to boil over as if you were slighted maidens? I will tell you, friends, there is very little of the woman in my heart just now, said Lee. I would rather administer such an oath to our host as I did to Watson and the worthies of Newport than to eat salt with him. Mon Dieu, tes vous, yes, said de Carroll. We must on and be gay. Having a care to drink neither too much nor too little, added Lee. And hastening to the table, after much ceremony, all were seated. And had not the genius of liberty presided at the entertainment, the profusion before them, the smiles and compliments of host and hostess, all of which, when contrasted with the miserable condition of the American army, might prove too flattering, even for the high-toned spirits on which they were lavished. Dinner was at length concluded, and the colonel invited his guests to ramble in his spacious gardens, which commanded an extensive view of the surrounding country. The majestic Hudson rolled through the valleys of plenty, and hills piled on hills, covered with every shade and variety of foliage, while far on the distance the purple highlands frowned in hoary battlements to the very heavens. All was lost, however, on de Carroll, who lingered behind with Bortolo, occupied with one object only. Fearing a second defeat, he had not ventured his services to Arabella, who, taking the parental arm of Washington, passed without noticing him. In the meantime, Mrs. Mauburn, appropriating Major E. to herself, requested that he and Major Arnold would accompany her to examine a sinking spring in the lower garden. "'You are a strange fellow, Charles,' said Bortolo, giving him a jerk, scarcely able to identify the young peeress and almost in a frenzy for the sake of her. "'Ah, dear friend, but you are cruel,' sighed our hero, "'for well you know how long I have adored her.' "'Bona sadut,' interrupted Bortolo. "'But look through the hedge. "'The idol that has melted the heart of a brave "'is gathering apricots for Washington, "'who, farmer-like, is stowing them away in his pockets.' Do see what angelic grace, what sylph-like movement. And the auburn ringlets, de Carol, can you dispense with them, when the lovely neck and shoulders they used to conceal indemnify you for your confinement? And those diamonds, do they equal the wreaths of Belle de Nuit, with which you used to crown her temples in the twilight evenings of her thirteenth summer? You press me hard, dear Bortolo, but look! And an involuntary shudder passed over them on observing the countess turn deathly pale from something communicated to her by Wildflower, who had approached and was gathering the fruit her mistress had shaken down. The anguish painted on the countenance of Arabella was extreme, but recovering herself, turned to Washington and proffered to show him a hanging bird's nest, and as she separated the branches and praised the ingenuity of the feathered architect, softly breathed a few words in his ear. At this instant, a peach, thrown with unerring dexterity by Wildflower, disordered her hair and shivered a superb comb in pieces. I wonder that Indian did not kill you, daughter, instead of the woodpecker she aimed at, said Colonel Mauburn, impatiently, as he approached. Be not offended, dear father. She meant no harm. I can slip to the house and repair the damages before the signal for assembling at the lake. 
It yet lacks thirty minutes to the firing of the first cannon, continued Arabella, and come with me, Wildflower, to bring the general's pocket companion, which he bade me remember, for the bustle of starting may make me forget it. And managing her hoop gracefully, she was out of sight in a moment, but soon passed by the still fleeter Indian. By Jove, said Bordeloup, there is something questionable in all this. Perhaps my suspicions were not unfounded this morning when Washington ordered the British uniforms recently taken to be prepared and a chosen troop ready to ride at a moment's warning. A grasp from the nervous hand of de Carroll produced silence, while Colonel Mauburn smilingly informed them that a collation and an agreeable surprise were preparing for them at the entrance of a remarkable cavern, where the reverberations of a field piece would produce surprising effect. Meanwhile, Washington turned, and taking the arm of the colonel, archly said to the young men, As I have my pockets full, I will spare each of you one of Bell's apricots, and as he passed, extended his hand to de Carroll, who felt as though an electric shock obscured his vision when he perceived written on a smooth leaf, treachery, to camp for succor. In affairs of danger, our hero was on trodden ground. Instantly commanding his feelings, he chewed up the leaves, exchanged looks and a few words with Bortolo, and hastened by a circuitous path to the house, which, as he expected, was deserted by the servants, except a couple of old blacks who were sitting by the door, of whom he inquired if they had seen Cato. Oh, yes, Massa, he just now go into the house with your honor's whip and put him away. Yes, yes, that's like him. While he is parading about, my noble horse may be kicked to death for all him. And slipping a handful of money into the hand of the old woman, passed rapidly into the hall. Here his steps were arrested by the exhibition of three portraits which were veiled on their arrival. In the first, he recognized the romping little girl of ten as he first beheld her at the Moravian boarding school. In the second, the roses and ringlets of her thirteenth summer, and the third, as Arabella then was, matured into perfect loveliness. Charles was entranced. The dangers, the horrors of his situation, or more than all, his duty, were forgotten. Yes, it is she, he exclaimed, my own, my long-loved girl, and unless an almighty fiat has gone out against me, I will deserve her, and she shall be mine. And rushing forward, pressed his lips long and ardently to the canvas, till a voice behind him cried out, Charles, dearest Charles, why linger you with those lifeless things, when the existence of so many brave men and your country's liberty depend upon your exertions? He turned. The original of the picture stood before him, and was instantly clasped in his embrace. Charles, dearest Charles, repeated the pallid girl, why will you linger? And yet how soon mayest thou be a mangled corpse? A dreadful ambush intercepts thy return to camp. But be thyself. Put implicit confidence in wildflower. Delay not, we must part, though it try our souls to the utmost. And as she urged him to the door and said again and again farewell, de Carroll felt every nerve strung with redoubled energy, and kissing her marble forehead without uttering a word, hastened to the shed. And here he found Cato talking to Janus. How comes it, cried his master, that you neglected to bring my lady's filly? Did you suppose I would take my bride behind me? Oh, no, massa, me tinked grand horse saddled in the stable fixed purpose for your missus. Well, to the house and be silent. Not for a thousand pounds would I have my present situation discovered. A stern look accelerated the black's departure, while the colonel sprung his horse to the edge of a steep bluff, where the bridle was seized by the Indian girl, who led him down through tangled vines and almost perpendicular steeps to the bottom of a deep ravine, while de Carroll, who had ventured many an alpine eyrie, found it difficult to follow, and putting him on an entire new route to the camp, Wildflower wound up the cliffs like a black snake, 
and was out of sight in a moment, and to Carol, putting Janice to his utmost speed, mentally repeated Arabella's directions. Bring the chosen band clad in British uniforms. Immediately after the departure of De Carroll, Arabella returned to the gardens, but the more wily Indian went in the first place to look after Cato, whom she found muttering to himself. Mighty strange dis, Indian squaw preferred to faithful colored man, dat old mistress bring up herself to tend on young massa. Silence, you black baboon, she whispered, or I'll throw you down the cliffs to feed the wolves. And making a sign of taking his scalp, she showed him a tomahawk concealed in the folds of her dress. In the meanwhile, all was apparent friendship and gaiety among the guests and their entertainers. Mrs. Mauburn promenaded, talked, laughed, and seemed almost delirious with pleasure. Even the colonel appeared to excel himself in his ability to please, and to none were his attentions so minutely directed as to the mighty spirit whom he had vainly hoped his arts had deceived, but with whom his intrigues availed no more than a mesh of cobwebs thrown to ensnare the monarch of the deep. "'Have you brought me the treasure I left in the arbor, my daughter?' said Washington in a compassionate voice, as gazing on the lovely pale face of Arabella, he almost wished her in peace with her sainted mother. With trembling hand she presented him his Bible, which, after opening, he calmly transmitted to his pocket, but not without observing a line drawn under these words. They sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for twenty pieces of silver.' He observed it, yet no shade passed over his placid countenance. No variation of feeling seemed to disturb the even current of his soul. The first round of artillery now gave the signal for descending into a little spot, called by the colonel the Emerald Valley, where, in honor of the guests, a collation, entirely American, had been prepared. Had the Queen of the Fairies selected a summer residence in the New World, it certainly would have been this— which was inaccessible to mortals till artificial steps were formed in its rocky walls. Its verdant carpet, flowers, evergreens, and gushing fountains, and a vast cavern opening on one side, rendered it both a cool and curious resort. For the amusement of the present company, the cavern was illuminated, and several tiny boats played in a small lake in its center. Gaily, the whole descended, save Washington and Lafayette, who, walking to and fro with Mauburn, seemed to enjoy the felicity of the merry group. Suddenly the cannon again poured forth its thunder, which appeared to shake even the distant highlands and to make the bravest faces turn pale. Mauburn bit his lips, and for a moment appeared to have a fearful misgiving of consequence, till Washington, handing his watch to his youthful comrade, said with a smile, Please descend and admonish those happy fellows that pleasure will not dispense with the hour of riding. Bid Wayne to drink bon repos in good season, and that the third fire must find them mounted for camp. We do not propose to have another round, General, said Mauburn, with an inquiring air. Well, then, let's to the house for the surprise you promised, or we shall lose our share of the banquet. Oh, I have no surprise, but three portraits of my daughter, of which I would like your opinion, replied Mauburn, manifestly uneasy at the self-possession of one whose conclusions he found himself unable to fathom. As they walked toward the house, Washington expatiated on the beauty of the surrounding country and added, Alas, after all, perhaps our labor may be in vain. Despotism may yet drain this delightful land of all of its resources. The poor may here, as in other climes, behold the luxury of nature with disappointment. Heaven forbid, ejaculated Mauburn. What do you fear? Nothing so much as treachery. You know one's enemies may be those of his own household. It is possible to be betrayed even in the house of a friend. Dear General, what could have suggested such horrible ideas? I only meant, replied Washington, to point out the consequences of treachery. 
but who are those riding so rapidly toward your hospitable mansion, winding along by the foot of yonder hill? Some of your own troops coming to escort you to camp, are they not, General, said the host, rubbing his eyes and looking at his watch. But they have on British uniforms, replied the General. What can all this mean? That you are my prisoner and must submit to King George, answered Mauburn, as the troop hastily dismounted at the gate. That you are my prisoner, he repeated, tapping Washington familiarly on the shoulder, while with an exulting smile he surveyed the number and order of the band. But what? De Carroll at their head? he exclaimed with a look of horror. De Carroll? Even so, said Washington, slapping him in turn, he whom you supposed among your guests. Learn how little Britain has to expect from hypocrites. Here, Colonel de Carroll, seize this traitor and carry him to camp. We will make him an example to the enemies of liberty. At this instant, a tremendous peal of artillery from the British camp was answered by a light discharge from the American, which shook the mansion to its center and was followed instanter by the field piece in the garden. Amidst all this uproar and confusion, Lafayette was heard shouting to the suite, to horse, to horse, brave comrades, a British dastard was never born to bury us alive. We will cut our way to the camp or die. I would like to pay my respects to the lady of the mansion in our own way before we ride, vociferatedly, but time presses and I will have to omit it at present. Form too deep around this lady, again shouted Lafayette, and the troop beheld Arabella weeping bitterly while she exclaimed in a voice of despair, my country is saved, but I have lost my father. Bortolo supported her fainting steps, and the Indian maiden was leading a horse superbly caparisoned when Mrs. Mauburn rushed forward in a frenzy of rage, seized the reins, and cried, Let go the bridle, you red witch. Shall my abhorred stepdaughter ride the horse which would have carried me to the British camp a duchess had it not been for your accursed intermeddling? Let go, or I will tear you to pieces. The Indian answered not, but whirled her burnished tomahawk in the air. In another instant, Lady Arabella was in the saddle, and the whole cavalcade, galloping at full speed, left Mrs. Mauburn to apologize to the British horsemen in the best way she could for their unexpected and humiliating disappointment. Passing over immediate events, we will raise the curtain to the tent of Washington. The great American was seated in silence, but it was evident there existed a strong conflict in his mighty mind between justice and compassion. Before him stood the man whom he once believed his friend, and the friend of liberty, and whose talents and resources he had greatly valued. But now, blasted by ambition and the intrigues of an aspiring woman, this pretended friend must be lopped forever from the cause of freedom and from the expectations of his family. Yes, without a word of defense stood Mauburn, though his pockets were filled with intercepted letters accusing him of the basest designs and purporting to have been written by Washington, but which in his heart he knew to be forged. Supported by Wildflower, Arabella knelt at her father's feet in unutterable agony. On either side, her brothers, George and Arthur, lay on litters dreadfully wounded, having returned from a distant expedition just in time to rush upon the ambuscade laid to intercept the return of the troop. Most of the family of the chief were present, all preserved a mournful silence. Not a groan was heard from the wounded, not a sigh from the distressed. Thrice Washington essayed to speak, but emotion choked his utterance till Lafayette, rushing forward, seized his hand. Then in a hoarse voice he exclaimed, Oh, Mauburn, Mauburn, would to God that you or I had died ere we had seen this day. Justice to my country's wrong points clearly to my duty. But when I reflect on my former friendship, when I look upon these young martyrs to the cause of liberty, and above all the entreaties of this best friend of the colonies, General Lafayette, I feel that humanity must prevail. Go, your life I shall not require, but your exile forever. 
and I call heaven and earth to witness that never again, where I have any influence, shall friend or brother escape the just demerit of any breach of trust or attempt to sever the union, though it darken my soul and tear my heart asunder. Anyone so doing shall receive the punishment due to his crime. Alas, poor Andre, in thee was this asseveration verified. The long war of the revolution was over. The times which tried the souls of every son and daughter of America were past and on a beautiful farm in Rhode Island, which opened to the sea, Arabella and Charles de Carroll, united by the holiest of earthly ties, sought repose from the severe anxieties they had suffered. There, under the blossom of their own vine, in a land freed from oppression, they tasted the sweets of friendship, the joys of social life, and that pure serenity of soul, which even in a present existence is a reward to the virtuous. End of section 1